Welcome to the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, an exclusive home of Cubs checking. Open online today at wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. As a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms, so please be sure to rate and subscribe. I'm Andy Martinez, joined here by Lance Brozdowski, player development analyst for Marquee Sports Network and Cubs VP of Scouting, Dan Kantrovitz. Dan, thanks so much for joining us, and I guess I gotta start. Uh, have you gotten any sleep as of late yet? Not yet. Uh, the plan is to always, uh, uh, you know, relax right after the draft and it never works out that way. And, you know, after 20 years in, in this business, I should know better than to think that the, the day after the draft is going to be restful. But uh, there's always stuff, whether it's negotiations, whether it's uh, a hiccup here or here, uh, here or there, you know, that, that just comes up that uh, uh, makes it so, you know, this, uh, you know, it'll probably be pretty hectic up until the signing deadline is my guess. What's your caffeine caffeine intake on draft day? <laughs> It's, it's, it's pretty substantial. Probably, uh, probably I'm too embarrassed to say sort of how high it is. I think, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, pro- I probably don't even feel it at that point. It's I've, I've, I've had so much energy the last few weeks, but, uh, is it, co- is it coffee or Red Bull or what's the, you don't have to tell us the quantity. <laughs> yeah. I try, I try to stick with, with, with just normal coffee. If once I start getting into the energy drinks, then, uh, I start losing track of how many I've had and then, you know, it, who knows what happens from there. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, let, let's get into it. Let, let's get into this draft. I guess your initial reactions just on, on the draft as a whole and, and kind of some of the, the, the picks you made. It was a busy day with, with a lot of college-heavy uh, picks that you guys made in the over the three days. Yeah, you know, I think going into it and, you know, people are always asking me about the narrative or the theme of it. Is it, col- it pitcher-heavy? Is it hitter-heavy? Is it college-heavy, high school-heavy? Um you know, I think that in terms of demographics, it you know the high school versus college kind of takes care of itself in terms of the signability of players. Um, you know, you have to end up buying out a high school player of his college commitment, which generally requires a bit more of a, a signing bonus up front. And you know, if you're a team that has a bottom third pool, which you know was was us this year going into it, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna plan on um, drafting and signing too many high school players. Um, you know, to my pleasant surprise this year, I think we ended up being in play and. Uh, and, and drafting a couple more than I than I would have initially expected, which is which is positive. Uh, and then you know when it comes down to the hitting versus pitching dynamic, obviously last year it was heavily skewed towards you know the pitching end of things. Um, you know, and this year I think it was a bit more balanced. Um, you know, I think it's just one of those things going in where you try to have a rough you know some rough guardrails to you know make sure you don't sort of skew too far in one direction you know a direction you don't want to go into. Um, you know, and this year I think it was just pretty balanced and. Um, probably a more uh, sustainable um, type of model going forward. Uh, you know, last year just so happened that we had so many spots where we needed some arms. Uh, you know, we need people to, you know, take some innings. And then, you know, now I think we're getting to more of that steady state in PD where, um, you know, it should, you know, start at somewhere near a 50-50 mix, hitters, pitchers. And then, you know, then from there, you just kind of read and react to what the strength of the draft is and, and who ends up getting to you at each pick. Was there anything in the draft as a whole, maybe just among how other teams drafted that stood out to you in terms of trends that maybe you didn't expect? Yeah, it's it's a great question, Lance. And, you know, I think every year that's one of my favorite things to do is to really just scrub sort of what each team is doing. And, and you know, I think until we sort of get past the signing deadline and see sort of who signed who, um, you know, it's tough to really make heads or tails of that just yet because, you know, some teams, especially on day three, are drafting – you know, first round talents and, you know, say the 15th or 16th round. And, um, you know, on occasion they might end up signing them. 
Um, but I think in, in, in general, uh, you know, there's quite a few of those guys that end up going uh, unsigned and either going back to school or going to college. So uh, at this point, I think it's a little early for me to weigh in on that, though I do think that's kind of a fascinating component that is always in your mind as the draft's unfolding. And, you know, when certain teams are kind of going in this direction, it starts to, to add up. But, you know, I think if, you know, I don't want to get too distracted on that, you know, the heat of the moment during the draft um, and, and kind of lose track of what we're trying to do. But, it, you know, it's we're, we're, we're human, so you, you end up kind of going, oh, that team, you know, ended up doing this or that team seems to be sort of having that strategy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, that's something that we'll probably be reviewing in more detail in the next few days. You mentioned what you guys were doing. First first pick, uh, 13th overall, you guys take Matt Shaw out of, out of Maryland. Well, I guess what stood out to him primarily, it seemed like that the hit to the offensive profile was, was pretty good and, and had some success in the Cape Cod League and, and obviously at Maryland. Yeah, it's always nice when the track record of a player, his performance resume sort of jives with what our scouts are saying. You know, there's there's cases where a player will have, you know, really outstanding performance like Matt has had. And, you know, maybe our scouts are, um, you know, a little less optimistic on on sort of that that hit tool, for example, or power tool, or, or maybe it's vice versa, where, you know, our scouts are, are, are really optimistic about a player's hit and power tool. And for whatever reason, it just hasn't, um, you know, he hasn't performed uh, and, and, and really put it into practice. Uh, uh, but Matt's a guy that kind of combines both. I mean, he's got that impressive resume performance. Um, you know, our scouts were saying the same thing about, you know, his hit tool, his power tool, um, you know, his ability to control the zone. Um, so, you know, we're pretty excited about his bat. I mean, I think, you know, if you look at some of the, um, you know, some of the clips of him hitting this year, you can just see sort of how dynamic of a swing it is, um, you know, how quick his hands are, how strong they are. Um you know, he's, he's, he's really optimizing, I think, the, the leverage in a swing and just, you know, every ounce of strength he has. Um, and, you know, then you combine that with somebody that, uh, you know, is, is, is sort of a top-notch work ethic, uh, which we're, we're pretty uh, impressed with and, and convinced that, you know, it, it, it is among sort of some of the best we've seen. Um, you know, I think that just, you know, lends itself to somebody that's going to come in, um, you know, hopefully have some you know, success and then uh, also be open to some some of our instruction from our hitting guys uh, who are among the best in the game. You know, and then defensively, you know, I think it's something where, you know, we're probably going to have to just let that play out a bit. Uh, he's versatile. You know, he can he can run. He can go get the ball. Um, you know, his hands are fighting to catch. His feet work. Um, you know, his arm works from, from uh, you know, from a few different spots in the infield. And so, you know, we're, we're going to have to see where kind of the best fit is there. Um, but I think I'd have to imagine that he probably starts at shortstop and then sort of, you know, goes either to, to second or third and, you know, and, and then we'll kind of see where we are in a couple of years. Uh, each of the last two drafts, it seems like you have relied heavily on Billy Swoops region and Ty Nichols in terms of focusing on those guys, those wrecks from those individual scouts. Can you talk about, um, you know, the, how big of an influence veteran scouts have in a, in like a draft room like yours in terms of influence and, I can't imagine it's intentional. So I imagine it's more circumstantial of like that lined up, but just talk about, I guess, the, the influence that, that legacy scouts, so to speak, have in draft rooms. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I could talk for hours about Billy, Ty, you know, there's a few others I'd put into that mix, whether it's, you know, Ralph down in Florida. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, the starting really just the scouting process. I mean, the influence they have on our other scouts and helping to develop sort of our younger scouts, um, you know, being a sounding board for me, being a confidant for me throughout the spring um, and just, you know, really just respecting and trying to tap into their experience. 
Uh, I mean, all you have to do is just, you know, go sit at a game with them and, and, you know, you can just, it, it just is so clear and impressive how much, you know, time they've spent in this game around players, around coaches. Um, and you just try to kind of be a sponge when you're around those guys. And, you know, it's, it's like you said, Lance, it's not intentional during the draft where, you know, we end up, uh, you know, drafting quite a few guys from Billy's area, but, you know, at the same time, I don't think it's coincidental. Uh, you know, I think it's one of those things where, um, you know, Billy really knows how to put us in position to, to draft and then sign a player. Um, and those are two very distinct processes. And, you know, I think that's one of the, you know, that's something that younger scouts, it, it takes some time to learn. You know, you can, you can nail the evaluation, you know, you can get the right people in to see the player. Uh, but then there's sort of another component, which is, you know, not just the drafting and eval part, but really just putting us in position of, to sign that player. And a lot of that's cultivating relationships with the players, the coaches, their families, um, sort of knowing sort of the right angles, you know, to, you know, knowing really just how to do that in the most effective way. Um, and that takes time too. And so I think because it takes time to really just establish some of those relationships, you know, it ends up kind of going hand in hand with sort of our more veteran scouts, um, you know, end up probably, uh, you know, all things being equal, um, having a bit more, uh, you know, success in the, in the draft, if you will. And you mentioned an interesting point, like with, with the player development, but in, in Shaw's case, you guys have had some track record with, with drafting and, and developing college hitters, especially advanced college hitters like him. Um, does, does that play a huge factor? Like if you're, if you're close between a couple guys or, or is it really just, you know, we like him a lot. We're, we're going to take him regardless of, of what our PD says per, per se, like how much does that play a role specifically in, in Shaw's case this year? Uh, no, it's, 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 a, it's a great question because I think increasingly in our game, you know, I think PD, you know, you need to leverage the, the strengths and the capabilities and the resources of uh, whether it's player development, whether it's strength and conditioning, whether it's research and development. And, you know, that tends to say, take center stage and even on the day of the draft where, you know, we might have a conference call with a player that we're considering drafting, you know, sometimes even up to, to like an hour before the draft is literally going to start, you know, and, and we'll have a, a Zoom call, for example, with maybe myself, and if it's on the hitting end, like Stoney and maybe one of uh, you know the, the folks in his department, and then maybe somebody on our R&D side to sort of walk a player through like an individualized player plan, explain to them sort of how we think we can you know optimize uh, their their skill set, where we think there's potential to unlock value, uh, and and players are really thirsty for that kind of knowledge now because it's you know they're getting exposed to it, you know sometimes it's some of these. Uh, you know, really advanced college setups, but, uh, you know, more than anything, they just know that, uh, you know, they're really motivated to just become the best versions of, of themselves. And if we have information that can help them do that, um, you know, they're, they're, they're really uh, receptive to it in most cases. And I think, you know, it really helps us when we have to put on sort of a recruiting hat, you know, and, and, and if there's, you know, a difference in sort of how much maybe signing bonus pool we have left, um, sometimes that can kind of tip the scales in our favor if we were able to show a player, you know, how, what resources we have and, and, and convince them that we can sort of, you know, optimize them and develop them better than anybody else. So it's, uh, it's something that really comes into play probably with every single pick and, you know, not to mention, you know, we try to leverage the opinions of, you know, what they think from a, just a straight evaluation standpoint, um, whether it's our coaches reviewing video throughout the spring, uh, you know, because probably after a week or so in our system, you know, our coaches are going to end up knowing these players better than, than we as scouts probably did over the last few years. That's just sort of the nature of the beast. And, um, you know, we can try to, you know, have, uh, get to know them as best as we can, but, 
you know, until you really get them sort of into the system and, um, you know, sit down and talk with them, you know, for a few hours, you know, at, at our complex in Mesa and just kind of go through the, uh, the framework of like an orientation and an onboarding. Um, you really don't know them as well as, um, you know, what our player development coaches will you know, just uh, a couple of days into it. So, yeah, it's, it's a really important part of the process. Jackson Wiggins is your guy's second round pick, right-handed pitcher out of Arkansas who went down with Tommy John earlier this year. Uh, I imagine anyone who's maybe following the draft as a fan is probably a bit surprised you guys took a player who hasn't thrown since February and probably won't throw maybe off the mound until later this year, depending on his rehab process. But can you talk about what you guys saw potentially in 2022 and obviously the work he'd done prior to that, that gave you confidence in him post TJ? Yeah, unfortunately, I think, um, uh, UCL reconstruction or, 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 or Tommy John surgery is becoming, a um, you know, a, a reality in our game. Um, and it's just something that he, you know, he, he can't really be afraid of it in terms of, you know, from a draft perspective and players that sort of are going through that, you just have to make sure that, you know, we have a firm grasp of, you know, how long it's going to be, what their ramp up is going to be, where they are in the rehab, um, <laughs> making sure that our doctors reviewed the surgery notes to make sure that everything went, you know, according to plan there. Um, but I think at the same time, um, you know, when you see a premier talent um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, you're able to weigh that timeline of his recovery and, you know, when he's going to be able to get back in post again. Um, you know, I think that's something that you just have to just weigh into the, the equation, but, you know, you don't want to walk away from what we think is, a, you know, potentially a premier talent and, and a, you know, top of the rotation arm. Uh, you know, we saw him, you know, we've had history on Jackson ever since he, you know, stepped foot on our, you know, on campus at Arkansas and Ty Nichols, our area scout, even as, you know, history beyond that. But I think what really sort of got us, you know, from this, you know, I mean, first of all, the thing that jumps off the page of Jackson is that he's just a, he's a deluxe physical specimen and a deluxe athlete. He's explosive. Um, you know, I was talking to him yesterday and we were kind of having a laugh about some of his, uh, you know, high school basketball highlights. I mean, he's just, uh, um, I mean, it's, it's such a f smooth, but yet explosive, just uh, athleticism that he has. Uh, but then on the mound, I mean, I think, you know, he stepped at Arkansas his freshman year. He was a high leverage uh, uh, back end reliever form, you know, just throwing gas out of the pen and really just relying on just that, you know, upper nineties sinker, upper nineties heater with, you know, that, that slider and, then I think as, you know, time progressed, he ended up becoming more of a complete pitcher and they moved him into their rotation, you know, the next year and, um, and, you know, started to see him use his change up a little bit more, started to see him split the plate with his fastball, um, started to see him have, you know, a little bit better command with his slider. And then, you know, he was just sort of on an upper trajectory all spring, uh, this being his sophomore year. And then that culminated with, um, you know, we saw him in Omaha the same year that we saw Kate Horton there. And, uh, you know, he started to break out this more vertical um, curveball. And, you know, I remember um, texting a few of our guys and saying, you know, I don't remember seeing this before. Um, and, you know, I think he he tried it. He, he mixed it in occasionally, but it wasn't until the College World Series where it just became just a, uh, a really impressive part of his mix. And, and you know, you combine that vertical break with some of the other components of his of his other pitches and it becomes a pretty uh, a pretty fascinating mix and one that we're pretty excited about so uh, yeah I'm I think that you know the you know the sky's the limit for Jackson and it's uh there's just you know all the ingredients that we look for there and uh, you know hopefully it you know hopefully we complete the signing process here shortly you, you mentioned an interesting point right now and you mentioned it earlier in the draft when talking about Jackson that like he's a really athletic guy, really freak of an athlete. You mentioned his basketball skills for uh, like the common fan who 
you know, he, he sees the, maybe just the, the stat line, right. He sees what he did at Arkansas and he, he only see, he doesn't like dive into it. Why is that? Why is that athleticism so important? And why did, why do you feel like you can be, you can do so much more with someone who is as athletic as Jackson is? Yeah. It's, it's a good question. Cause I think there's two parts to that. There's one, which is like the baseball card stats, you know, if they, if they stand out to people or if they don't, um, but then there's, you know, more sort of, I think, predictive underlying metrics that you can get into, um, you know, whether it's uh, expected outcomes, whether it's just the pitch shapes, um, you know, where we try to look beyond just baseball card stats and try to figure out, you know, really, um, you know, how, what's this guy's ceiling. Um, but I think, you know, from, from the standpoint of Jackson, it's just, uh, um, you know, we see somebody where there's you know, some opportunity to, to refine some of his pitch shapes and you know I, I think you want to get to a point where those baseball card stats start to end up being you know m- more impressive than you know than they probably were his freshman year but uh you know I don't think they were um I, th- I still think they were pretty solid you know by any measure so um you know he's he's on that real just I think upward trajectory of somebody that's improving rapidly um and you know I think in some ways I think the you know the rest that he's sort of had to go through you know having that UCL reconstruction surgery is that, you know, his, his body's still developing too. When you have that kind of frame, I mean, he's still putting on, he's still putting on weight naturally, um, you know, as well as working really hard in the weight room. So, you know, I think he's going to come out of this process uh, looking a little bit different than he did going in, in, in a really positive way, but uh, he's a special person. Um, you know, I think he's a pretty special human being in addition to just the, you know, the, the, the tools on the field and uh, um, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty excited to try to get him in the fold here shortly. Jumping over to the third round and some of the subsequent picks, uh, I'll just write through them for, for people who don't know, but Josh Rivera, shorts up Florida, was number 81 overall in the third round. Will Sanders, uh, pitcher out of South Carolina, fourth round. Fifth round, Michael Cariso, a catcher from Davidson. Alfonsine Rosario on the sixth round, and then Yahil Melendez, two high school kids in the sixth and seventh round. Is there a particular tool in that mix that you're most excited to have in the system? You know, I think uh, the first thing that comes to mind when you start rattling off that list, Lance, is um, – you know, our, our second year area scout, Melendez in, in South Carolina, um, actually was the signing scout, you know, will be the signing scout for uh, for Sanders as well as uh, Fonzie Rosario. And, um, you know, she just did a, a phenomenal job all spring of, um, you know, getting to know these guys really well, getting to know their families, their support systems, what makes them tick, how passionate they are, their makeup. Um, so I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, mention her right off the bat when you start to all those names because she was just instrumental uh, in our draft this year and it was uh, it was very impressive work that she did on on, on both fronts but uh, in, in terms of the tools um, you know I'll stick with Rosario uh, I mean it's you know he was at our workout our pre-draft workout in Myrtle Beach um, and we wanted to get just a better feel for sort of you know what you know th- th- this toolsy type of player and I mean he's hitting balls off the scoreboard like you don't you know see somebody typically at that age uh, especially in that that ballpark, and I mean, there's some there's some real raw power in there. And you know, we're gonna have to refine his approach and his bat to ball skills. are gonna have to develop a little bit. But uh, uh, when it comes to tools, uh, you know, he's he can run, he can throw, but the the raw power there is a, a, a pretty special carry tool. I think Carissa, the the catcher. I mean, he had like a insane OBP, right? Like almost near 600. Uh, like what 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 stands out as a him? Like how how confident are you guys that he could, he could stick a catcher and, and kind of be that, that, that rare uh, offensive and defensive catcher. 
yeah, I, I think we're we're really optimistic that he can stick there, and we're going to give him every chance to do that. And we think that's a you know a big part of the value proposition in, in his overall game. And um, you know, he, he obviously has got you know borderline elite bat to ball skills, and and you know then couple that with a um, you know with some strength and some leverage in his approach, and you know he can drive the yard to all fields. Um, and you know more than anything, just has I I think just a really advanced uh, awareness of the strike zone and can control the strike zone enough. Um, to let to enable his bat and power to eventually play um, so he's somebody that we've been pretty excited about and you know he had a he got a little banged up as the season went on um, and then ended up coming home from the cave just to kind of rest and get ready for the draft which which isn't unusual um, uh, but I think we'll probably take our time kind of getting him ramped up and started again just you know after kind of uh, being a little bit banged up here down the stretch but uh, yeah, defensively, I mean, he's a, he's a really good athlete. And so I think he's really, you know, agile back there, really flexible. Um, you know, we think he's got enough arm strength to, you know, ma- maintain the position at least initially. And then, um, you know, hopefully it, uh, you know, everything kind of develops across the board as his body develops, as he matures. Um, but uh, yeah, there's no reason to think that, uh, that he's not going to maintain that position at this point. And, um, you know, couple that with a bat that's got both power and contact ability and it's uh, ends up being, you know, what could be a pretty valuable package. Your guy's 16th round pick, I'm going deep here, is Daniel Brown, a pitcher at a lefty at Campbell University. Um, he is a guy that I think is up to like 101, 102. And he, he had a bit of a walks and hit by pitch problem. There's maybe not a ton of feel for pitching there. But I imagine as you get later into the draft, you start to maybe focus in on an individual tool like his lefty velocity is obviously rare. Um, and maybe look past some of the potential flaws in the profile. Um, but can you talk about that and how later in drafts it's maybe not so much of looking for a complete package, but looking for a tool that you guys can kind of compound with the PD department? Yeah, you know, I think he's he's a really interesting case. And, and Lance, you just you just summed it up really well in terms of sort of our approach, you know, later in the draft and kind of, you know, being a little bit more flexible, if you will, with sort of our mindset and, and you know, not just saying, well, this guy, you know, didn't have very good performance and then realizing it was, you know, just a, you know, a a total one inning basically this year. And, you know, there's, I mean, there's not every day you come across a kid that, you know, has the, you know, can get up to 102 with that kind of electricity in his arm stroke and can spin the ball the way he does and uh, is just athletic. And, you know, the more we got to know him, the more we became confident that, you know, he's just, um, he's a really smart kid and and he wants to learn and he wants to improve and he's just got a thirst for knowledge. And, um, you know, we figured that if, uh, you know, this is a case where, maybe just hasn't been exposed to the, you know, the, the, the resources and, and, and the instruction from a pitching standpoint and maybe sports, maybe a question of opportunity and maybe he hasn't gotten that there. Um, and when you get you know, find a guy with those sort of raw tools to start, you know, you realize that, you know, it's going to take some patience. It's going to take some time and um, you know, there's no certainty or, you know, on the other end. Um, but I think it's, you know, if, if, if anybody can kind of help him along, it's, you know, it'd be a combination of, you know, how, uh, how impressive of a person he is and how, you know, his willingness to improve, but combine that with, uh, you know, our, our pitching infrastructure. I think it could be a, you know, pretty exciting guy in a few years. I, I want to go a little, I won't go as deep as Lance, but Yahil <laughs> Melendez was, uh, was a, a, an interesting guy out of Puerto Rico and someone that I know you mentioned, you guys got a lot of looks at him, which isn't common for guys that come, are coming out of Puerto Rico. Uh, what would you guys like about him and what kind of excites you the most out, out of him? Yeah, you know, I think uh, one of our strengths when I look across our sky department is is our coverage of Puerto Rico relative to other teams. Uh, Edward Guzman does a phenomenal job 
uh, sort of manning that area and, and, and just sort of keeping a pulse and knowing what's going on, knowing who the best players are. And, and then more than anything, I think you know, he makes sure that we have a wave, you know, it's usually about three different waves that we try to get in there with our senior evaluators throughout the spring. Um, and, you know, I think we're just in a really good position come draft day to, you know, to have as much information as you can possibly have on players coming out of Puerto Rico. Thanks to, thanks to Guzzi. Um, you know, and then, you know, Yahil was somebody that, uh, you know, had a rice commitment, um, you know, and so he, he wasn't like he was uh, kind of an unknown down there. He's been, a, you know, sort of a famous guy over the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, he's somebody that, you know, our scouts really liked. And, you know, when we got to that point in the draft, our all of our reports, you know, were um, were, were probably a, you know, at least two or three rounds higher than kind of where we ended up taking them, uh, which is what you ideally want to happen. Um, but, you know, he's somebody that, you know, we think has a chance to stay at shortstop. Um, he's still growing to his frame. He's a young kid. Um, but there's there's some, you know, different back-to-ball skills there that we don't see all, all the time out of, a, you know, kids coming out of Puerto Rico, just younger kids. And uh, so we think there's, a, you know, once he starts to mature physically and, um, you know, get under the umbrella of our hitting infrastructure that, um, you know, he, you know he, might, uh, he might be able to really hit as, you know, the years unfold here. How much do prior picks help you inform kind of future decisions? Jumping back to last year, you guys took Kate Horn in the first round, Jackson Ferris in the second round. Ferris, lefty, and Myrtle. Kate Horn's been dominating South Bend. Prior year, Jordan Wicks out of Kansas State's another lefty, kind of more field changeup based guy. He's also developed really well. He's all the way up to AAA. Looking at those guys' progression, is there anything you kind of take away from that and apply to this draft? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, you know, the once, once you've been doing this, you know, for you know, 15, 20 years, you, you, you end up sort of falling back and, and, and looking at, you know, a lot of the mistakes you've made, you know, at least that's, you know, at least what I try to do in my position and, you know, where you're off from an evaluation standpoint, where you were off from just a value standpoint. Um, so was that a scouting error? Was that a decision-making error? Um, you know, how can you sort of learn from that, you know, going forward? And, you know, I think when you look at just, you know, kind of the more recent cases, it's hard to, you know, if it's just a year or two out, hard to sort of really extract one thing or another in terms of like, you know, what you might have done wrong, what you might have done right. Um, but I mean, I think, you know, it's the drafts that I've been a part of, you know, 10, 15 years ago where I'm like, OK, I'm not going to make that mistake again. Or uh, I want to make sure to be cognizant of this so that, you know, we improve, um, you know, the the process, uh, you know, in, in whether scouting or decision making, you know, going forward. Um, but I think, you know, it's something where, you know, that just by virtue of Kate and, and Jordan being, you know, profiling as you know, probably starting pitching pitchers for us in the big leagues, which is, is, is a bold statement in itself. Um, you know, I think that's something that, you know, we're optimistic and excited about. Um, but, you know, you also want to be a little bit guarded and cautious there where, you know, you're talking about drafts one to two years out. Um, but, uh, you know, I think at this point it looks like, you know, maybe that those would be processes that we'd look to you know kind of repeat going forward because it's uh you know early early returns have been uh, really strong from both those guys which is uh, exciting i, I want to dive in a little bit more on Cade because I, I remember when he was taken last year uh, it was almost a little bit of surprise to the outside right like he wasn't the the i think i can't remember if you guys were picking eight or, or around that area he wasn't necessarily like the eighth best prospect or anything like that and it was kind of a surprise but when you look at, as you mentioned, the returns, the early returns, it seems like you hit that one out of the park. What has stood out to you in his first year in pro ball? And are are you guys are you any surprised at what he's kind of been able to do? Yeah, I mean, the development path is is is, is never 
linear. It's never the same for each player. We talk about like Daniel Brown, where, you know, he's not as young as a high school player, but still, you know, might be pretty early on his development curve. Um, so sometimes it's about age. Sometimes it's not, um, you know, but I think, uh, you know, a guy like Cade, it's, you know, it's like, you know, he's, he came in with, um, you know, a little bit fewer innings under his belt than probably his, uh, you know, his other, you know, college arms that we were comparing him to. But I think, uh, you know, from very early on in the spring, you know, we evaluated him as a first round talent. Um, and I think, uh, um, you know, you don't want to get too wrapped up and you want to make sure that you're just not operating in a vacuum independent of what anybody else thinks or says about players and, you know, that you're not, uh, uh, but at the same time, you know, if, you know, realizing that like at the time Cade might've seemed like a, a bit of a surprise um, externally, um, you know, I don't, if, if he's the guy that we think is, you know, has that kind of talent, you know, we don't want to, um, you know, just sort of stay away from it or move on just because it's going to be, you know, a surprise on draft day. I mean, we, at the end of the day, need to fall back on, you know, how we line these guys up, be confident in that and you know, kind of stay true to our process. And, um, you know, we didn't, you can never be entirely sure sort of how a player is going to turn out when you draft them. And there's always hiccups, bumps in the road, you know, things that you'll encounter that you don't expect. Um, but, you know, from a standpoint of how much information we had at the time and how confident we were in our evaluation looks at, at Cade, I mean, we were, you know, as, as confident as it gets from that standpoint. So, um, it's just really nice to see him go out there and, and do what he's doing. And, um, you know, I know there are, you know, uh, you know, some people that weren't quite as familiar with his work, um, you know, going to the draft, which was clear sort of after the post draft. But I think, uh, at this point, uh, you know, just, you know, the kind of the proofs in the pudding and, uh, you know, you look at just how he's dominating hitters, at, you know, at every level and, you know, we're, we're still looking for, you know, ways to challenge him. And, uh, you know, when you're, when you're in that position, still looking for ways to challenge, uh, you know, kid, um, that's, uh, you know, a pretty good indicator that, uh, you know, there's some, there's some seal in there. And, and you mentioned challenging your kid, Jordan Wicks, he's kind of succeeded at every level. What, what have you thought of his progression and, and how exciting is it to see him triple A one step away from the majors? Yeah. I, I mean, I think we're all pretty, pretty happy with Jordan's progression up to this point. And, you know, when you get uh, somebody that profiles as, as just a starting pitcher in the big leagues and that's a fingernail away from that right now in AAA and probably could compete up there right now, uh, um, you know, that ends up being a, you know, a pretty valuable asset for us. And uh, it's it's not surprising to us in, in that sense. I mean, we, similar to Cade, we had Jordan, you know, evaluated pretty high going into the draft and thought that, you know, there's, you know, if everything worked out, that there would be a good chance that he'd be, you know, a starting pitcher for us at some point here in the big leagues. And, um, I you know hope we get to see that here uh, at some point soon. Absolutely. Uh, can we end this on a more uh, I guess fun note, so to speak? Justin Steele, homegrown lefty for you guys yeah. um, in the All Star game. Obviously, that I imagine is a huge kind of badge of pride for the organization, especially given what the you know general media consensus has been. I'd say since maybe the mid two thousands in regards to developing pitching. Um, I imagine you guys were all really hyped to see that, but just give us a little nugget maybe from other people in the org about how happy you guys were. Yeah. It's, it's a source of pride. Like you said, Lance, for, for all of our scouts and, and, and development folks that were part of that process. Um, you know, he was drafted before I, before I got here, but still can have pride in sort of what he's doing and, and really appreciate it and get excited about it. And uh, I remember uh, talking with um, uh, Scotty and, and, and Ben, two folks who uh, I work closely with in the office who uh, do, do an excellent job. Um, kind of helping me run our department and going into our Southeast pre-draft scouting meetings and uh, was um, 
we started to talk to players, you know, that's kind of where we run down the list and try to line the guys up going into the draft. That was a few weeks ago. Uh, and I remember, you know, mentioning to one of our, uh, our Southeast regional cross checker, Bobby Filotti, um, you know, we were talking about a left-handed uh, high school kid. And, you know, I think Bobby, if I'm not mistaken, might've been one of the, you know, early scouts to kind of plant the flag on Justin back in high school. And, uh, you know, just you know, kind of ring the bell and say, you know, this guy's pretty good among many others who were part of that process. Um, and, uh, so, I mean, it's just something that, you know, goes a long way even, you know, still and probably will be somebody that our scouts will be really proud as as they should be, um, you know, for, for, for years to come. So stories like that, um, you know, are, definitely motivate us. You know, it, it motivates scouts to sort of, you know, drive that extra hour to try to, you know, unturn this rock and go see this player in, in, in a certain area. It's what motivates, you know, us to get extra looks on guys like, Jordan Wicks and Kate Horton and not give up on, on those guys in the scouting process. And, uh, but yeah, I think more than anything, it's just a real source of pride for, uh, for our department, for the organization and, you know, for everybody that was, was a part of that process. Dan, thanks so much for, for taking some time out, out of, uh, I know this is a busy week for you. So thank you for some time for taking some time with us and go get some coffee, go get some sleep. I uh, pre appreciate the time. Thanks, Andy. Thanks Lance. Take care guys. Get your Wintrust exclusive debit card. Get your Cubs card. Ooh, I'll take one. How much? Actually, they pay you $300. You heard right. Get a $300 bonus when you open a Cubs checking account with Wintrust. Enjoy all perks and purchase with pride every time with your Wintrust Cubs debit card. $300? What? I'll take a $300. $300? $300? $300? Get your exclusive card at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and equal housing lender. Welcome back to the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Lance Brozdowski, Player Development Analyst at Marquee Sports Network, and Andy Martinez here. Lance, I guess we talked to Dan. He gave us the rundown on, on the draft. What were your takeaways from kind of what the Cubs did in the 2023 draft? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I, I, I like looking at the split of basically 17, I think, college guys versus three high school. That, I think, is pretty indicative of maybe what they thought the strengths of this draft yeah. was uh, compared to prior drafts. Um, pretty evenly split between pitchers and hitters too. I, I think that was the key thing that I thought was interesting from what we just heard from Dan was that he thought that maybe in prior years they needed some more arms just in the system to fill innings. And then this year it kind of bounced back out. So I imagine going forward, it'll be kind of more balanced, which gives them kind right. of the optionality to potentially go hitter or pitcher, whoever's best available on the board. Or maybe in prior years, they were probably trying to, I don't want to say force, a pitcher or two, but get those guys in there. And Cade and Jackson Ferris is a pretty good example of that. Um, right. That's probably my main takeaway. But, yeah, Matt Shaw's high floor. And then you see Jackson Wiggins in the second round is, like, huge variance, I think, and in what he right. could become, whether it's Penn, you know, post-TJ. We probably need a year or two before we kind of get a really good read on him. And then it goes back to college. Then it flows back to some high school talent that they really like in Rosario and Melendez in the sixth and seventh round. So you kind of end up with like an ebb and flow of the draft that tells a pretty good story of what they were trying to do. Um, that's probably my main takeaway, though, is that they, they tried to – they seem to believe they have arms in the system now such that they want to bounce it back out and just kind of go with a split of 11 pitchers to nine hitters or reverse that number, um, which I thought was is pretty balanced. It's good to see. Which, yeah, and it was another interesting point that Dan mentioned too was with with high school guys. So they were in the lower third in terms of bonus pool money that they can give out in the drafts in draft signing. That was another interesting point, right? Like with high school guys, unless they're unless it's like a Jackson Holiday or or, or like a, a can't miss prospect like that, usually you kind of have to overpay per se because yeah. they they have the option to go to college. They they kind of have that security built in. 
So that's another interesting point, right? Where if you're in the lower third of bonus pool, you can't spend that extra money per se to to buy the buy someone out of out of uh, a commitment to college. So you, the college is more, I want to say, like safer bet or, or, or like a, a a safety net that you can kind of rely on. And it's interesting too with some of the guys that they're taking. If you look at the colleges, right, like Maryland, South Carolina, Florida, like these are big time program big time programs there's like there's like a, a player drafted from Vanderbilt later on in the draft like these are big time programs that have facilities that you could argue are on par with major league facilities right in terms of research and development in terms of player development in terms of just like pure facilities to, to be able to, to develop players that you have a really good idea of what a player is it's not like 20 30 years ago where you're like well this guy hits a ton of home runs like I you know this, this that's that's who he is you have the data to back it up. And, and that's something that Dan mentioned that I thought was interesting, right? Like the scouts can see and, and find tools and players, but then the, they have the data from all these schools that are so advanced nowadays that, that it can kind of act as a, as a background check or as a safety net too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, data is huge. I mean, they're, they're pretty integrated between, I imagine the R and D backing up what scouts think. And uh, they obviously have some scouts driving the ship, I think more so than others, as we heard, you know, they've had Billy swoop from his particular region and Ty Nichols from the Midwest in terms of a lot of the pitching that he's been on the last couple of years. So that's always fascinating to me to see the integration between departments. I think some of the smarter orgs in baseball that draft well and develop well are really, really well integrated between what, you know, the player development side thinks that they could develop easier and then what the draft actually targets to supplant and kind of allow those guys to progress quicker. Yeah. Lance, we want to wrap up. Obviously we're recording Wednesday um, day after the all-star game. Justin Seal makes his all-star game debut first time in the all-star game. Really, really cool moment for him, for the Cubs organization. To, we talked about it with Dan about the, the this theory about not being able to develop pitching. We have a homegrown all-star pitcher who's one of the better pitchers in baseball right now. So what was your takeaway from the all-star game and, and seeing Steele in there? It was great. I mean, he was incredibly just I, I, every picture I, I saw, he was smiling and it was great. Obviously, yeah. his his son was there too, Bo, which was awesome to see. So I think just the emotional side for him was probably the coolest thing to me. Just seeing that emotion first All-Star game, you know, representing the Cubs, the only Cub actually at the All-Star game, given Dan's being strumming, taking some time off and stuff. So I, I love that. I mean, he's become the pseudo face of this team, so to speak, I think, in terms of performance and stability, especially in the rotation alongside Stroman. So it's just cool to see him there. He pitched an inning, one hit, one K. It was clean overall, which was great to see. Um, it, was, it was a blast. It was fun seeing him there. And I imagine you could tell the look on his face. He was pretty happy to be there, too. Yeah, I thought the, the cool thing was he, there was a, that awesome play by by uh, Austin Riley, right, at, at third base. And, and uh, uh, it was, I believe it was his second out. And he mentioned post game when he was talking about it. Like, they grew, they're a fellow Mississippian, right? Like, they, they yeah. both were in Mississippi. They played on a high school all-star team, and Justin Steele mentioned he was like the best hitter and pitcher on the team. So it was really cool to see that full circle moment, right, of two guys from Mississippi at the biggest stage in the in the all-star game and having that that cool connection. I thought that, that was really cool and, and really fun to see. But just an overall really, really fun moment to see Justin Steele, someone who was way more than deserving of being an all-star and, and to, to be honored and to, to pitch in the biggest moment. So I think, like, like you mentioned, like he's one of the better pitchers in baseball, but I also think – there's a big portion of baseball that doesn't know who Justin Steele is, which I think is a, is a shame because if you watch him day in and day out, I mean, you see he's on par with some of these these superstar aces. He's not blowing you away with stuff, but he's he's just as good in, in getting the out. So I, I think it was awesome to see Justin Steele kind of 
be on a national stage so more people get to know him. But that was my takeaway from it. Really, really fun. And it'll be interesting to see what, what kind of happens here as the second half starts on Friday with the Cubs taking on Boston. Make sure to tune into Marquee Sports Network. We'll have you guys covered on Cubs live, Cubs pregame live, Cubs postgame live. That'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. For Lance, I'm Andy. Thanks for tuning in.